Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 211. We'll conclude the scroll of Song of Songs with a brief summary of chapters 4 through 8 and follow with some thoughts about medieval memes. Chapter 4 is probably one of the more famous chapters in the Tanakh, a song of love and devotion to his beloved. In the previous 210 episodes of this podcast, I have never put the whole chapter into the record without comment, but it's too beautiful to summarize. So, quote, Oh, you are fair, my friend. Oh, you are fair. Your eyes are doves through the screen of your tresses. Your hair is like a herd of goats that have swept down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth like a flock of matched ewes that have come up from the washing, all of them alike and none has lost its young. Like a scarlet thread, your lips and your tongue desire. Like cut pomegranate, your cheekbones through the screen of your tresses. Like the Tower of David, your neck built gloriously. A thousand shields are hung on it, all the warriors bucklers. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Till morning's breeze blows and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are wholly fair, my friend. There is no blemish in you. With me from Lebanon, bride, with me from Lebanon, come. Gaze from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Snir and Hermon, from the lion's den, from the leopard's mountains. You have captured my heart, my sister, bride. You have captured my heart with one glance of your eyes with one bead of your necklace. How beautiful your loving, my sister, bride. How much better your loving than wine and the scent of your unguents than all perfumes. Nectar your lips drip, bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue and the scent of your robes like Lebanon's scent. A locked garden, my sister, bride. A locked well, a sealed spring. Your branches, an orchard of pomegranates with luscious fruit, henna and spikenard. Spikenard and saffron, cane and cinnamon, with every tree of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with every choice perfume. A garden spring, a garden of fresh water and streams from Lebanon. Arise, O north, and come, O south. Blow on my garden, let its perfumes flow. Let my lover come to his garden and eat its luscious fruit. I have come to my garden, my sister, bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my perfume. I have eaten my honeycomb with honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, and drink. Be drunk with loving. Chapter 5 picks up on the theme of the locked garden, with the beloved, though sleeping, is awake in their heart, and then the knock. Quote, Open for me, my sister, my friend, my dove, my perfect one. So she gets out of bed to open, quote, My hands dripped myrrh and my fingers liquid myrrh over the handles of the bolt. I opened for my lover, but my lover had slipped off, was gone. Where did he go? She goes off to look, but comes upon the town watchmen who mistreat her. She will continue to look, but in the meantime she addresses the daughters of Jerusalem and makes a request, quote, Should you find my lover, what shall you tell him that I am in swoon of love? They inquire about him. Is he really worth all the effort? She responds with a lengthy description and defense, lauding his qualities from the top of his head to almost the soles of his feet. She stops at his thighs, which are, quote, like ivory pillars set on pedestals of gold. Chapter 6 continues with the search, 
With a back and forth between the daughters of Jerusalem and the woman, the daughters offer to help her find him, but she knows where he is and prefers to find him herself. Quote, I am my lover's and my lover is mine who grazes among the lilies. He chimes in, finally, to offer more praise to his beloved, repeating some from chapter 4, but dropping some new bars. Quote, You are fair, my friend, as Tirzah, lovely as Jerusalem, daunting as what looms on high. He then asks, quote, Who is this espied like the dawn, fair as the moon, dazzling as the sun, daunting as what looms on high? We know. The chapter concludes with what seems like a fragment of a poem, shifting the conversation from a celebration of the beauty of his beloved to a discussion about enjoying the garden in spring. Have the lovers finally met up? Not yet, as chapter 7 begins, with the man beckoning, quote, Turn back, turn back, O Shulamite, turn back, that we may behold you. She approaches. He doesn't just liken her to a date palm, as he anticipates. With her breasts, he says, shaped like the clusters. He literally climbs the date palm to see where she is. She, too, is buzzing with anticipation, ready to reunite. Quote, Come, my lover, let us go out into the field, spend the night in the henna. There I will give my love to you. Chapter 8 begins with a woman wishing to be close to her man, to come upon him in the street, to kiss him, and lead him back to her mother's house, where they can be intimate together. And in the final address to the daughters of Jerusalem, she says, quote, I make you swear, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you shall not rouse nor stir love until it pleases. The chapter continues pondering the power of love that cannot be contained or controlled. Quote, set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm, for strong as death is love, fierce as Sheol is jealousy. Its sparks are fiery sparks of fearsome flame. Many waters cannot put out love, nor rivers sweep it away. Then the tone shifts with a mini-poem about a group of brothers acting as a kind of chorus, considering the future of their sister. Is this our narrator's brothers in a flashback? Are they worried about protecting her virtue? She has a comeback. Quote, I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. In other words, she knows perfectly well how to protect herself from unwanted suitors. The scroll ends appropriately with the lover's dialogue. He speaks one line of poetry and she answers with an antithetical line of her own. But we're left wondering if they manage to get together. Although I'm sure we can imagine what would happen when they eventually do. This part of the episode is going to wander a bit, kind of far afield from the source material, but don't worry, I'll connect the dots for you. Here's the first dot. The first dot is the first part of verse 8 in chapter 4, quote, With me from Lebanon, bride, with me from Lebanon, come, gaze from the peak of Amana. First, why Lebanon? Today, typically, when we hear about Lebanon in the Western media, it's usually followed by reports of civil strife and violence. Between 2000 and 2001, Lebanon's gross domestic product, that is, the total value of goods produced and services provided in one year, dropped 40%. Lebanon is in an economic crisis so bad that economists haven't recorded stats this bad in 150 years. Numbers this bad usually reflect conflicts or wars, but in Lebanon's case, it's their political elites 
who are asleep at the wheel, mismanaging not only their economic crisis, but the COVID-19 pandemic and the response to the 2020 Port of Beirut explosion. Lebanon and the world of Song of Songs is an altogether different place. It's a land of deep forests and natural fragrances, part of the faraway north, a wild frontier, a place of adventure and perhaps danger, as the mention of lions and leopards at the end of this verse suggests. This wild setting for the lovers stands in stark contrast to the domesticated, almost manicured, enclosed garden in the second part of the poem. The second dot takes us to a different frontier space, medieval Europe, specifically to the facade of the Strasbourg Cathedral in France. Work on the cathedral began in 1015 and languished for over a century and a half before being relaunched in 1190. Work was finally completed in 1439. Back in the day, the medieval day, it was the tallest church, nay, the tallest structure constructed during the Middle Ages. Today, it is the sixth tallest church in the world. Its south portal, or portal of the Virgin, dates to about the 1220s. On each side of the portal, you'll find two female figures. Both are young and attractive. On the right, that is stage right, or if you're facing the portal to your left, you'll see a young woman, shoulders back, looking confidently forward, and dressed in a simple dress. Upon her head, she wears a crown. In her left hand, a chalice, and in her right, a cross-topped staff. On the left, that is, stage left, the sinister side, or if you're facing the portal to your right, you'll see her twin sister, but she's looking a little sad, shoulders stooped, but in the same simple dress. She's also blindfolded. In her right hand, she's holding a broken lance, and in her left, the tablets of the law seeming to slip from her hand. The first sister is Ecclesia, the church. The second is Synagoga, the stand-in for Judaism itself. They are twins, but only the first is triumphant. Which makes sense if you're going to present the image of the church on the facade of a church, you're not going to make her look bad, just the opposite. In fact, you're going to make her rival look bad and pathetic. But not too bad or too pathetic, because Judaism in the eyes of the church was the foundation for Christianity. The only problem with Judaism, or more like Jews, is that they're blind to the truth, hence the blindfold. If only they could see, they would realize that their testament is old, their belief system obsolete, and they would get the necessary upgrades into the latest belief operating system. This pair of sisters appear on medieval church facades across France, England, and Germany, as well as in countless illuminated manuscripts. The proud Ecclesia and sad synagoga became such pervasive cultural constructs, one could say that they became medieval memes. So if you saw a woman with a crown and a cross-topped staff and chalice, you knew immediately that she symbolized the church. And if you saw a woman with a blindfold, bam, that's synagoga. If they had done this today, you can almost imagine the distracted boyfriend meme where the outraged girl in the blue top has the word synagoga written on her in that white impact font, while the girl in red is labeled Ecclesia. I'll have examples of all these images on the Tanakhcast page at anchor.fm. The third dot is about the Christian-Jewish polemic, which I guess you could say Ecclesia and synagoga is part of. 
Throughout the Middle Ages, Jewish and Christian theologians tussled about who interpreted the Bible correctly and who God loved more. This was clearly an asymmetrical struggle. The Christian side had all the power. The consequences of this polemic for Jews extended beyond losing or not losing debates. Whole communities were under threat of violence because of the trash-talking between Christians and Jews. But it didn't mean that Jews were passive victims. When it came to trash-talking, Jews could give as well as they got. They just had to be careful and calibrate their speech, but they were able to land some blows against the church hegemony. They could quietly mock and disparage. They could also appropriate and repurpose. Much like the LGBTQIA community took the pink triangle back from the Nazis and repurposed the word queer to be, for many, their word of choice to describe themselves, medieval Jews did the same with Christian content used to disparage and demean them. The fourth dot focuses on the Machzor. A Machzor is a prayer book traditionally used by the cantor, but today by most folks in the synagogue for Jewish holy days and special Shabbatot. Illuminated Machzors became popular in Germany starting in the mid-13th and to the mid-14th century. The Machzor is usually bound in two huge volumes, the first containing prayers for special Shabbatot, Passover and Shavuot. The second volume contained prayers for the High Holy Days and Sukkot. The design of the initial word panels in the Machzor closely mirrored the Latin method of stressing the first letters in the beginning of a text. But since Hebrew has no capital letters, the artist would enlarge the letters of the initial word. As I mentioned in the previous episode, the scroll of Song of Songs is read as part of the Passover liturgy, and elements of Song of Songs are integrated into the liturgy of the Shabbat before the holiday, otherwise known as Shabbat Hagadol, or the Great Shabbat. Here, the allegorical interpretation of the scroll figures prominently. The love expressed by the man to the woman represents the love of the Jewish people for God. Which brings us to the final dot, and I guess the first, chapter 4, verse 8. In this verse, the female protagonist, the proverbial bride, is invited to join her lover. The medieval Hebrew poet, Binyamin ben Zerach, took these words to begin his piyut, or liturgical poem, for the great Shabbat. Quote, Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Look from the top of Amanah, glorified with pure ornaments. Perfumed with ointment spices, with myrrh and frankincense, for the time has come for to you to see the king. The Levi Machzor, written and illuminated in southern Germany in the mid-14th century, has an image accompanying the first line of this piyut, verse 4 of chapter 8, which, though reminiscent of contemporary Jewish wedding ceremonies, is based on Christian models. I've included this image as well on the Anchor FM page. On the right, the bride is seated on a bench. To her left, the bridegroom, wearing a Jewish hat, kneeling in front of her and holding her hand. As in other machzors, the bride is crowned, but she is blindfolded. In other words, the bride is synagoga. Her veiled eyes symbolize her blind refusal to accept Christian truth and confess her mistaken belief. In the Christian meme, Synagoga is not enthroned as a queen. She is humiliated and defeated below the cross with a fallen crown opposite the victorious Ecclesia. But in the Jewish take, 
The meme is flipped on its head. We need the blindfold to indicate to us that it's synagoga, but she's not humiliated or defeated. Just the opposite. She is resplendent, beloved, and adored, and accompanied by the verse from Song of Songs, for which the meaning is clear. Judaism, you're our bay. like we heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Tell a friend about TanakhCast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to TanakhCast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning five this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 212, when we begin the scroll of Lamentations with chapters 1 through 3.